Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy and as always here with the extraordinary and talented Richard Hill, whose brain is not broken. Uh, no, my brain is not broken, uh, although sometimes <laughs> I question it. But that's the book we're going to talk about today. Yes. Your Brain's Not Broken uh, by this wonderful uh, woman, Dr. Tamara Rosier. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're off to the States again. But tell us a bit about, uh, tell us a bit about her, Matt. Yeah, so um, Tamara, she's a founder of the ADHD Center of West Michigan. She and her staff there, they work with people with ADHD and and their families, and they learn strategies and develop new skills um, to work effectively with this group. She's a coach, and uh, she's got an extensive background in education and she's a very clever and entertaining person to talk to. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to chatting with her because, you know, we've got some of this in the family. And, and mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I wonder myself. Uh, sometimes I'm a bit all over the place. And, uh, all right. You don't need uh, to wonder anymore. You're all, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> You're all over the place. My brain shuts down plenty of the time. Um, but the essence of it is, 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 is how we manage. And, of course, uh, if you want to be uh, covering lots and lots of different areas, don't don't forget that uh, the 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 joys and and wonders of being a, a member and a part of the science of psychotherapy uh, community. Now you can be on our newsletter and just receive information. And there's lots of you know talk about the podcast and everything. You can become a member. It's just a uh, hundred bucks a year, under ninety nine. You know, mm-hmm. so much cheaper. You know, we've got hundreds of hours of uh, tr- of, of teaching where you yep. get certificates, so you can present it to your associations. I mean. It's a it's a wonderful experience. I know because that's why I'm in it. Because it was I was invited in this experience, and it's just the most fantastic thing. So join us if you can in in all levels from the from the just the the free participant to the to the paid member. Yeah, fantastic. Looking forward to having you as part of the tribe. Well, Richard, let's go across to Michigan and talk to Tamara. Tamara, welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to see you. Thank you for being for letting me be here today. Uh, and Richard here. How uh, I'm uh, uh, very excited to see this because I've been working with sort of it, uh, this type of issue that we've talked about this ADHD, various uh, sort of mental states, uh, as a, a parent um, over many years. And and as I learn more and more, it's really exciting. And and so I'm just wondering with you, uh, you know, what was what was sort of leading up. To, to bring this book together. I know you worked with a lot of kids. You did a lot of things. You're a teacher at one stage. Uh, could you tell us a bit about the, the, the your background there and, and what brought this book out of you? Because it's a big effort to write a book. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, the entire time when I was writing the book, my whole goal was to talk to those clients who I haven't met yet, who show up at my practice. They're so sad. They're overwhelmed and they're full of self-loathing. And what wasn't written about and what really, really pushed me to write this book um, is we're not talking about the emotional side of ADHD. We're not talking about how really screwed up ADHD people feel like they are, feel like they are, not they are, right? Mm. And so I kept writing this 
each chapter, just what would I want to tell someone who was hurting with ADHD? I'd want to tell them their, their brain's not broken, but there's a reason why you feel like you're losing your darn mind. And here's what it is. Yeah, this is this. Uh, what's lovely about writing the, 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 the with the book is exactly as you say. You go through and you're piecing together a, a sense of a set of understandings, but also a set of understandings not about only what they're doing and feeling as a as ADHD, but these emotions. I mean, I, I love that that or these difficulties you face: frustration, uh, shame. You know, this this sort of difficulty with life. Uh, and I've seen that a lot too in, in in my practice. So, are these the things you need to manage first, or is there no sort of order of things? Tell us a little about the way you manage and work with someone who comes in the room. This is loosely put. So, if there's a neuroscientist listening, you know, just kind of understand this is more metaphorical. But I like to start coaching from the back of the brain to the front. In other words, I don't start coaching executive functioning skills because that's prefrontal cortex. And that's like asking me to lift a weight with my pinky. It's not the strongest muscle I have in my brain. So it's, it's difficult for me. However, if I can start with a limbic system, you know, the, you know, that little amygdala that tells me fight or flight. And in those of us with ADHD, we get confused. What's a big deal? What's a small deal? We don't know. Maybe a bear's chasing us. And so I become confused. I'm, you know, feeling a deadline coming up and my body's responding like a bear is chasing me. And so with clients, I, I start by coaching this first and I really work on first the fight or flight or freeze mechanism and helping them see what's, what's actually happening to them. Then we work with emotional regulation. Then we start to work on cognitive control, the prefrontal cortex stuff. This is what we want. We want people to have a, a perception and a utilization of, of the principles of neuroscience. This is this is the, the 21st century therapist. It's great. Absol- absolutely. So can we get into what is the inner landscape of the person with ADHD really like? So you touched on the emotional content. Can you paint us a picture there? <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, it's a cacophony in my head. So I have ADHD. I've outed myself with this book, with opening the ADHD center. I managed to hide uh, in education, uh, first in high school and then in higher ed. I just hid uh, as a uh, teacher and then professor. Um. But after a while, uh, I was noticing there were people like me who were hurting. So that's when I decided, well, I should step in and start to help people. First of all, a lot of us are hiders. In other words, we're just trying to fit in. Uh, Recently, I met up with a friend from college. Uh, We hadn't connected over 30 years ago. And... She and I met for coffee. It was wonderful. And she looked at me. She said, Tamara, I never knew you had ADHD. And I said, well, that's simple, Gina. I followed your cues. (laughs) I remember looking over and going, well, she's using a yellow highlighter. I guess I'll do that too. And I kept following the cues of what air quotes normal people would do. 
And so a lot of those, those of us with ADHD, we're not dumb, but the simple things are very difficult for us. And, and that's one of the themes in the book, right? So inside my head, the first processing I use is an emotional processor. And that's the number one thing we have to understand about all ADHD people. We may not like that about themselves ourselves, but we process everything through an emotional processing first. Um, I just want to remind you the part of our brain, uh, the prefrontal cortex that would just say, just do it, is offline most of the time. Now, the times when I'm properly medicated, it's online, but uh, as soon as the medication wears off, so does that strength. So because I don't have that just do it, my head goes through like a method actor going, what's my motivation? And then I, I try to find a motivation to do this. And it's usually an emotional motivation. So just coming back to the the desire to fit in, obviously you're very conscious of being different and just tell us a little bit more about that consciousness of being different. What, what, what are you aware of that is different? So in my practice, I do work with people of all ages and the thing that breaks my heart every time. Now, one of my specialties in my practice is working with ADHD people who have high IQs. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's usually 125 and above. And what's heartbreaking is they know that they're out of step. And so let's say they have a high IQ but their organizational skills, their social emotional regulation is very low and lower than, than what their peers would be. Mm-hmm. So now we have three levels where they're very low on the social emotional regulation. They're way behind their peers. And then, and yet a lot of times they're smarter than their peers. Those are the kids that know they're behind. And so I see clients all the time going, It's like I'm in a marching band and I'm just a fraction of a step off. And that's how a lot of ADHD people feel. A lot of us feel socially inept, whether it's true or not. Yeah. So so what you're explaining sounds very much like um, the autism spectrum. So what is differentiating ADHD from, from autism? This is why a lot of my clients have uh, the high IQ uh, folks have been identified on the spectrum. Right. Um, And yet, as I'm working with them, I'm like, no, this, go back and get a second opinion on this. Um, Again, uh, the ADHD brain starts kind of in the limbic center with the fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, anyone with ADHD under the age of 26 is running three years behind developmentally. And that's a pretty consistent three years behind. Mm. So if I'm working with a third grader, you know that they're, they're not operating like a third grader socially and emotionally with ADHD though, it is a very consistent developmental pattern and that eventually ADHD people will grow into their brains if you're on the spectrum, and I, I really hesitate to speak because I'm not an expert in this area, but it, from what I understand, there's a feeling of feeling out of step and not knowing what to do with it. Um, there's, it, it's like there's a big gap there. 
uh, for my clients, they can see that they're out of step, but the, they're not really that far out of step. Um, it's a little bit more exaggerated in their brain than with someone on the spectrum. Yeah, Is I that think, making sense? no, that's that's really good. I'm, I'm just sort of jumping in with some of the the background on it. There's there's a bit yeah. more in in uh, the spectrum is more things that that are not so much don't work, but things that aren't working. There are connections that aren't there. And yes. uh, these are to do and, and affect uh, things like uh, social engagement and reading cues and so on and so forth. And, and with, with, with ADHD, there tends to be all the stuff is there, but under certain pressures, things shut down. And so that's quite a different thing. What, what do you think about that, that, that thought, uh, Tamara? I think that's part of it. Uh, there's also this, so my ADHD clients have the perception of being out of step and then followed by the three-year lag. And, and it's because they have it, it's just developing at a slower pace than their peers, but they do have it. And it's, it, and it's, the reason it's ADHD is it's the prefrontal cortex issue, right? Uh, it takes time to grow into that prefrontal cortex. Um, and- and there are so Thanks. many cultures, uh, particularly indigenous cultures, where timing of education, age, age na- natures of education, aren't so fixed. Uh, whereas, you know, Sir Ken Robinson said, we're, we're unfortunately we educate based on date of manufacture. Uh, yes. And uh, well. the, I know in our Aboriginal communities in Australia, uh, you just learn what you learn when you learn it, and that's great. Nobody worries whether there's an eight-year-old with a 12-year-old or a, you know. uh, But our culture tends to say you need to be a specific thing at a specific time. And and, and as you're just saying, that this... I call it a brainscape, uh, like people sort of mind says. I, I say the, the we all have different brainscapes that uh, uh, an architecture is another term that we use. So this idea of being behind... But it's talking about being behind something that somebody else decided was the thing that it was supposed to be. Um, right. And, and yet you uh, had this issue, became a teacher, professor. So over time, it's it's not an issue. How do people deal with that contention, particularly when they're younger? Like, hey, you're, you're 14. I'm sorry, you're a few years behind, but don't worry, you'll catch up. What does that feel like? How do you work with that? So- yeah, I love that you bring this up. So I think of education um, in the industrial age. In other words, we plop kids on the assembly line, send them down the line, yeah. right? And so you add the parts at different times. And and it is difficult um, for my kids, because the kids meeting the clients I see, because they do expect, and teachers will say, you're a fifth grader now, you don't get recess. Well, my little guy is showing up and he's still has the developmental skills socially and emotionally and not always socially, right? There are some ADHD people with very, who are very socially adept, right? But let me be clear, uh, executive function, always three years behind because that's almost the definition of ADHD, right? Yeah. So um, those kids, they get the message that they're just failing. Mm. Mm. And in, so here's what's interesting about ADHD people can look like the dumbest people on earth. We can't get out of the house on time. We forget dumb things. Being grown up is, is so irritating to us. And yet sometimes we can look like geniuses 
because we, we are really good at divergent thinking. And so all the time people are carrying this of how can I be so smart here and so dumb here? I just had a client, um, his, he, he's being sent to Alaska to work with some, some of his clients. And he told his travel agent the wrong city. So he has tickets to the wrong city in Alaska because, and and it was just one of those ADHD glitches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How can I be so stupid? I'm like, and yet he's so smart and he can do this incredible job that he does. So, so let's just talk about um, that divergent versus convergent thinking for a minute. Convergent thinking is what Sherlock Holmes does right? It's deductive. It's sequential. It's hold up, let's stop and put the pieces together. That is prefrontal cortex activity, right? which is insanely boring if you have ADHD. (laughs) Okay. Every ADHD person I know really tries to avoid convergent thinking to a fault. Um, However, the ADHD brain naturally goes towards this thing we call divergent thinking. And divergent thinking takes one idea and blows it up in 50 million pieces and then sees all the connections between all the pieces. This is why we drive our teachers nuts because we're like, wait, why are we learning this? Wait, is this connected to this? Well, why would this? And so I I, I have an example. I used to teach educational psychology uh, in a different life when I was a professor. And in one of uh, my classes, I would hand everyone, in this case, pink marshmallows, because I thought they were pretty, um, all these little miniature pink marshmallows. I would hand them to each student and I'd say, these represent facts. Mm -hmm. And some of your students want to line up the facts. So here are toothpicks and line up the facts. And so they would connect the little toothpicks together. And that was kind of scaffolding and putting schema together. I said, but then you do have these divergent thinkers. And I gave them more toothpicks and more marshmallows. And I said, now make the biggest structure you can out of marshmallows and toothpicks. And these are your divergent thinkers. Right. And so Students would have, and then some of my sassy students would combine their schemas and get really huge schemas, but that's what ADHD people do. We love creating these big structures in our head and we focus on the toothpicks. We don't focus on the marshmallows. They're not as interesting as the toothpicks are. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's also some interesting things that that come through in in the... the nature of uh, the way people deal with uh, uh, with the the frustrations that 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 occur, but in ADHD people. But one of the most fascinating comments was a radio talkback program years ago. I was listening, and this father rang up and he said, "Oh, my son. I took him to the doctor. He was behaving really weird, and you know he'd get out of control. And and my doctor told him he had attention deficit something. So I paid more attention to him, and he's much better." <laughs> and so and so that oh, I just took from that that what we do is we get these kids they, be, they behave divergently, unusually, difficultly, unexpectedly, and so we put them at arm's length. And so there's also this sort of 
or I don't know whether it had come into attachment theories or things like that, but there's sort of this disconnect from other people. Yeah. So many of my, so many of my clients just want to be seen and they want to be heard. And a lot of times, and that's, that's the beauty of coaching, frankly, is I go where the client is and start there and ask, how do I move forward? And one of the differences between coaching and therapy would be therapy asks, how did you get here? And coaching says, I don't care how you got here. How are, how are you going to move forward? And both are necessary at different times, right? But so many people show up in my office and go, I, I'm just overwhelmed and no one gets me. And I feel like everyone is irritated with my endless questions of why would we do this? That's a toothpick question, right? Why we, why would we do it like this? And so they're very frustrated and ostracized because they're not simple yes people. Yes, I'll do that, right? And so you do see this, this interesting kind of separateness forming. And maybe that's part of the separateness uh, that ADHD folks feel that we were talking about at the, at the beginning of this. I just want to come back to atten- the, so the attention in ADHD. Um, it yeah. sounds to me from what you've been saying that the attention part should really be labeled divergent thinking. Like it's not an attention deficit. It's a divergent uh, amplification. Divergent Would that be right? Or, yeah. I, it's too much attention disease is right. what I would call it. In other words, okay. we're paying too much attention. Uh, normally, our prefrontal cortex will kind of weed out and screen for things to ignore and not see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even into adulthood, ADHD people are looking at the whole constellation, looking at everything. Not enough and filtering. Not out. Yeah, mm. not filtering at all. Mm. Yeah. And it, okay. because is it, I imagine then, and I'm just taking this from, from my own experience with, with my family, that having something that gives you a really good reason to focus. Um, uh, and our, our boy is fantastic uh, as a, he's a, a restoration uh, plasterer. So we have, he, he restores. So he'll, there'll be a broken ceiling mold or there'll be some historic sort of thing. And he will sit there and he will just attend to that and he will work it and do it until, you know, the the lights have gone off, uh, but he's still there. But what used to happen when he was a kid is at the super at the the the, the big department store when um, when his mother was taking him down into the food hall for something to eat. By the time the escalator got down to the bottom, he was on the ground asleep. All that overwhelm, um, yes. you know, turned off his yeah. prefrontal cortex. But if he gets the focus, yes. he, he really loves it. Well, and that's we. Uh, Tom Brown writes um, about ADHD folks as having a interest-centered nervous system. In other words, whatever will interest me emotionally gets my attention the most. Right. And so your son has found something that is his passion, and he can spend hours doing it because there's great emotion behind it, sense of pride, completeness. Uh, mission, whatever it is, it's compelling him to keep doing it. And that's why he can sustain this work. It's interesting because most of my clients will say, I'm not creative. 
but we're it, it we may not all be painters songwriters actors but we do lean on the divergent thinking and that's so so if you ever want to kind of capture your clients uh you can invite them into a metaphor and have them play with a metaphor mm-hmm. um it's a trick that we can use when we ADC people speak metaphor and we speak it fluently, right? right? Because metaphor is language and it's pictures and it's not really uh, semantic. It's not prefrontal cortex activity as greatly, right? Um, and so whenever you can entice your clients, entice them emotionally through the emotional lane of memory. That's so interesting because in my early days of of I was an actor in my early days, and then I did a linguistics degree because I talked a lot and I thought that might be interesting. And then I did the neuroscience and things, and and, and I can't remember who said it, but they said the metaphor is a way in which the, the, the frontal areas of the brain, the, the front part and the, and the rear part, the sensorial part, uh, can right. talk to each other uh, or, or at exactly. least communicate with each other. So there's this, um, so wow, ADHD, using metaphors, finding a way to create a communication pathway even when the prefrontal cortex is sort of shutting down because it's, it's overwhelmed. This is pretty clever stuff. Uh, clever, intuitive sort of stuff? What, what are they, well, what's going on? So in my book, I actually uh, ask my clients or ask the readers to imagine their metaphor of their ADHD. And the reason I use that, I, and I have them come up with it, it usually takes two or three sessions. They're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. And I just, that's fine. Just keep thinking about it. Think on it. Um, and then they'll come back and say, I got it. I got my metaphor. And right. once they get a metaphor, and we know this from behavioral research, once they get a metaphor, now we know how to solve their problem, their oh, ADHD problem. That's so clever. Right? Wow. So I, I'll give you a quick example if we have time, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Please, no, please do. This is great. I'm uh, my, my metaphor, I'll just pick on myself. My metaphor was... Uh, I had to run a three-legged race every day with a person identical to me, but missing a prefrontal cortex. And I'll be darned <laughs> if she didn't sit down halfway through the race and just start to pick dandelions. That's painted at the bottom of the stairs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. And so I'm going to, I'm going to confess something here. Um, it's a bit dark. I don't want to scare any of your listeners, but the re- the way I got through my dissertation unmedicated was I metaphorically knocked her unconscious and dragged her body across the line. Okay. <laughs> right. I, I know I can hear, I, I can hear someone gasp, going, Oh, that's self-loathing. Yes, it is. Yes. We put her, we put her quietly to sleep and uh, then yes. uh, gave her an ambulatory oh, I assistance. <laughs> I knocked that wench out. She was wasting my time and you hear my personality kind of overriding my ADHD. But isn't now, that, that is not a healthy thing to do. Right. And so when I solve my ADHD problem, I have to start with, yeah, we got to learn how to run a three-legged race with someone and not be mad at her all the time. So let's start to show her some forgiveness. Can we have grace? And maybe she points out dandelions that are actually interesting sometimes. So 
That's how we're going to resolve that ADHD metaphor. I, I have a feeling, uh, maybe I am a bit ADHD, I'm not sure, but I certainly am divergent in my thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are always saying, Richard, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, but but these sorts of metaphors, these sorts of, 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 of carry-ons, actually I'm just remembering back to when I was in, in, in school uh, I used to do a lot of, I used to do the, the jumping events, the high jump, the long jump and all that sort of things. And someone said, oh, he's a jumper. And I said, no, I'm a woolly jumper. And so I used to feel warm. Jumping made me feel warm. And I think a lot of people might think that they might find, if they think about it, that they use metaphors for themselves in the, in their lives. And then they improve them and develop them. But what we're saying here beautifully with ADHD is that's a way that you can create a connection and an engagement with the mm. with the frontal activity and the and the rear activity and develop through the metaphor, not just coincidentally develop them and and uh, that's wonderful. I'm very excited about that. Yeah. I'll I was shut just, up now. Uh, back just to on, you, Matt. But just geez, on, that's great. On that, I'm just thinking, so the metaphor, so you're, you're creating uh, a point of reference and a, an anchor or something, and actually what you're, I'm, and I'm yeah. thinking out loud here, you're creating some convergent thinking to to then use as a platform to... Yeah, solve some problems. And a consistency. It's a very sneaky way into the convergence, though. Because mm. mm. you really always want to kind of trick me into thinking convergent like. <laughs> right? Yeah. So yes. I, I'd rather say, right? Convergent thinking is like putting your foot on the brake. Mm-hmm. And divergent thinking is like putting your foot on the gas. Yeah. And those of us with ADHD have a need for speed. And right. so... I can, if you can trick me into it by going, well, Tamara, here's what I just heard you say. Like, oh, yeah. that was a little bit convergent, wasn't that? Yeah, then, yeah. You've you've given you've given yourself a a home screen to come back to. Exactly. Yeah, that's mm. exactly it. Oh, I like that. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. cool. We're cool. being great. There's another metaphor. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so, what other what other tips um, do we have? Um, we were talking to therapists, working with um, kids or adults with ADHD. Uh, what other things um, would you like to, you know, say to therapists to do in the in the therapy room? Yeah, um, one of the things that works quite well. Um, so remember, we talked about emotions and ADHD. Um, a lot of my clients really enter into coaching with a lot of self loathing. Um, by the way, we have a lot of therapists in our ADHD center too. Um, and so, uh, between in our center, like, well, you could kind of go, Oh, you have incredible self-loathing that surpasses coaching right now. How about you go see this therapist? And then the therapist is like, Oh, it's time for you to work on some skills, go see a coach. And so we do a lot of that. Um, but something that crosses both coaching and, uh, therapy is we start to do some parts work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can tell you what my parts work looks like in coaching. Um, therapists have slightly different training. Yeah. Um, but I help the, the client understand what's the ADHD version of themselves and what's the non-ADHD version. And we start to get people at the table talking. Mm-hmm. And so I, I um, usually this, is, this has started already in therapy. Um, but usually if we can get people talking, so 
one of my clients, um, she figured out she had two, she has two different versions of her ADHD self. One is a frightened, overwhelmed little girl who is just shaking all the time. And the other one, she, she described him as a caveman and who is always like, not that smart, but willing just to beat something up to get the job done. And she couldn't figure out, how do I have these two different ADHD characters in my head? I just said, it doesn't matter. They're there. So let's start working with them. Yeah. And so let's start talking to that little girl, make sure she's safe. Um, And it's the ADHD, anxiety, overwhelmed kind of feelings, right? And and let's let's work with a caveman who's just like, screw this. Yeah. (laughs) He's a very angry man for what I picked up. Um, (laughs) But then to get her to negotiate with them. Yeah. So again, creating some great points of reference um, that are very, very anchoring. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I had a, uh, one of the clients I was working with, uh, she spontaneously uh, did it, but she um, named them. I didn't specifically go to parts uh, yeah. because I, I, I have other uh, methods of of, uh, of working to, to where I try to see what they'll come up with, you know, and give a bit more time. And she suddenly just came and said, oh, such and such a, a, a name, that's the one that does such and such and such and such. And that was yeah, and and it was so it was uh, uh, so cooperatively with the with the therapist. This would have been excellent. I mean, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't read your book. I didn't. I I didn't know. She just did it, and I took advantage of it, and I went with it. But right. so that's pretty much the same sort of story. And she's she's now got about three or four different uh, characters that uh, and some she likes using and some when they when they turn up she tells them to go away which is a bit like your uh, other person on the the other side of the three-legged race so so this is um yeah this is something that's very natural for people because it's not just the the therapist that has to do it so that's great and remember we create stories in our head adc people we're tied to metaphors we're tied to stories you know that dmn network it's just kind of you know yeah, we love that part of our brain, right? So if we can get our clients kind of thinking about their own stories in their head. So when a, when someone shows up, I teach the person to go, not to shoo them away, you know, go away, go away, anxious Amy. I don't want to hear from you. We say, oh, anxious Amy, why are you here? What are you trying to tell me right now? And how can I care for you? So we're not angry at separate parts. We're accepting those parts and we're loving those parts. We're not just, we're just not letting them drive the bus. If I could just mix all kinds of metaphors here, we're not putting them in charge of things. Yeah. Well, there might be something truly adaptive or important in the moment for that part, which we might not be aware of. Yeah. This has given me some wonderful clues for, for, I'm going to talk more about some of these elements in this way. This is great. Thank you so much. Hmm. Can I just tell you, uh, for those uh, of your listeners who work with children, uh, this works well with children. Uh, I, I, it's a little bit of a different activity, but I have little monkeys in my office with name tags. And they choose the name tags that apply to the monkeys in their head. So there is anxious Amy, overwhelmed Oscar, you know, all these guys. And then we act out like how they talk in their head. And I had a little guy in my office, about seven years old, and he had so much anxiety. And he was one of those high IQ little men, so smart, but 
was really anxious about everything. And I said to him, so, so he had, uh, anxious Andrew. And I said, so anxious Andrew's there. What, what should we do with anxious Andrew? And a lot of boys will throw anxious Andrew up in the air, pretend to shoot him with a machine gun, you know, us guns, all that. (laughs) No, not this little guy. This little guy picks up. He goes, Oh, Andrew, I'm so sorry. You're feeling so anxious. Let me give you a hug. And he starts to take care of anxious Andy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And of course, mom started crying. And since I'm a sympathetic (laughs) crier, I got teary eyed. But but he was starting to learn compassion. And that's really what we're trying to do with our older clients, too. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Now, um, looking at yourself as um, your own case study, <laughs> what, can you tell, what can you tell us about the, the developmental trajectory of ADHD having, you know, lived, I don't know, what have you, you're probably about 30 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely 29, 29. Yeah, okay, We're okay, going to okay, go yeah. that one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I actually, I've lived more than half a century. So i Here's what happens. Uh, the ADHD brain, I, I was just thinking about this today on how ill adapted I was for the modern world. Okay. Right. Up until around 26 for females, 28 for males, ADHD people are just ill adapted for the modern world. And it takes us that long to kind of grow into our brains. Right. Mm-hmm. And we know this um, neurotypicals grow into their brains probably, probably about three years before. Right. Yeah, that's like twenty um, mid twenties type thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. mid twenties. Uh, and you add three years for us. That's when we'll probably do it. So after that, the ADHD symptoms are still there, but now I have this more complex understanding about how the modern world works. Right. And so that's when I get deep into my emotional motivation of. Well, you know, Tamara, a grown-up would be doing this right now. You know, Tamara. And so the shame starts to kind of whittle away, right? Mm. Or as I confessed earlier, my metaphor was about self-loathing, right? So that's where I try to motivate myself emotionally um, to get things done. So that follows us all through um, our lives. Right. So there's just a more acute self-awareness, um, in the social context that you're in and you use shame. It sounds like as a lever to try and change. Well, well, yeah, there's, there's, hmm. there's five bad emotional motivational tricks that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and anxiety is actually one of them. We'll kind of rev things up to motivate right. ourselves. Anger, shame, self-loathing. You know, there's um, procrastination is another emotional trick. Mm-hmm. Um, avoidance. Um, the sixth one is avoidance. That's harder to explain. But those are kind of emotional tricks we use to try to start that emotional engine to give us, why should I do this? I'm angry. That's why. And so I worked with a client two weeks ago who cleaned his garage because he was angry uh, at his wife and Mm. cleaned his garage out of spite. 
Yeah, so they they are incredibly the still clean. Right, they're incredibly important um, internal realities for therapists to be aware of what's going on. Yeah. Yes, and yeah, to, it, to use those emotional responses and mm. you, or utilise the emotional responses that may be negative in some circumstances but turn them into a, a, an energetic positive framework. Well, here's the problem with that. They're exhausting. And right. yeah. so, I, you know, if you, if you have an emotional brain, that, that just takes a lot of energy. Um, Mm. We have to constantly shift and um, we're not automatics, right? We're not an automatic engine. Uh, we have to um, manually shift our brain a lot. And that's exhausting when we have ADHD. So with my clients, I begin, I help them understand, here's where you're going to want to start. You're going to want to start at your emotional motivation, like that method actor I mentioned before. Mm. But is there a possibility we could engage our imagination and do it a different way? And so mm. do I have to get angry to clean the garage? And people mm. will look and say, I think so. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. That's a bit hard, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. But let me understand and let me help you understand there's a cost to that for you. Now, I, I, I'm begging for all your listeners who don't have ADHD to understand the just do it button is broken. So when a lot of really helpful people want to help us, they say, well, just make a list. To which we're like, no kidding, make a list. Okay. That doesn't get it done for us. We still have to get the emotional task initiation. Um, and so... You know, the just do it button is broken. It is amazing that any people with ADHD get anything done during the day. And I'm really serious about this, guys. If you followed me around, you'd be like, how is she even a grown up? So, and, and I'm, I'm a relatively high functioning ADHD person. Mm, yeah. Um, so, you know, just this all takes so much more energy. Um, and some days we can pull it off and look, you know, close to neurotypical. Other days you're like, seriously. Okay. That's so much. Ellen DeGeneres does a, does a wonderful uh, uh, comedy sketch on this uh, sort of around the procrastination, but it's the ADHD and she's she's looking for something and she ends up down in the in the basement and then she's finding and there, well, these CDs are nice and that wall, it really needs painting. And, you know, it just, <laughs> it's just this beautiful stuff. And, and the wonderful thing about the sketch is by the time you get to the end, you've forgotten what she went down there for. Uh, but, exactly. but the... What I just feel so much in, in in my own life, because I have a very disparate way of thinking as well, is just why do I have to behave? Why is there this behaviour pattern of why not find the CD and paint the wall? And, of course, we know that because culture and society has built up certain needs and wants and, you know, you have to go to work and satisfy certain needs and wants, and uh, I just uh, am hearing that the first thing the ADHD person has to say to herself, and this is what we worked at, you know, with with our children, was was you are not bad, you are not wrong, you are having, you know, the world is as wrong as you are wrong, but let's try exactly. and make two wrongs and make it a right. 
Right. You know, it's it's finding a, a an ADHD-friendly way to adapt mm-hmm. to our modern world. I will yeah. never look neurotypical, but I can make it in a modern world. So remember, ADHD is highly dependent on environment. So I have two surgeons um, who happen to be married. And one surgeon who was the male found out he had ADHD. He's been practicing surgery for 15 years. He gets his diagnosis. He walks into his team and says, all right, guys, listen, I just found out I have ADHD. You guys need to step it up. His wife, on (laughs) the other hand, okay. His wife, on the other hand, says she's known that she's had ADHD for years. She's Hmm. deep undercover. She will never tell anyone why two different environments, even for they're both surgeons, but as a female, she's not allowed to have those things. And women tend to um, take all of their ADHD and kind of put it inside with shame, Mm self-loathing men tend to spill it outward in anger and go, you know, you guys need to step up. Yeah. And so that's, it, it's, it's about environment. Yeah. Context. Um, so a lot yeah. of times with my clients, they're in the wrong environments, mm. right? Accountants are the sad ADHD accountants. They're some of the saddest people I know right. until they find the right accounting firm and get into the right work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Context. Uh, and yeah, social, social, context so important yeah we've covered yeah. a lot of really great elements here haven't we matt I, I, yeah absolutely so just a reminder to everybody we're talking about your brain's not broken strategies for navigating your emotions and life with adhd with tamara here and um tamara as we wrap up is there anything you'd like to sort of leave our listeners with well i said it before but i'm going to say it again please please don't ask us to just do this Walk with us. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the way, don't even ask us why. Um, because let me tell you, our whys are going to get very convoluted very fast. So if someone says, why haven't you done that, Tamara? Well, let me tell you. I can tell you so many reasons why. But that's not going, going to get me closer to actually doing the task. Right. So walk with us. See us. Understand that it's a loud loud conversation in our head all the time. Medication does help that folks and properly medicated people do find their just do it, but eventually. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Tamara Rosier, thank you so much for this wonderful insight. Uh, merely scratching the surface, I know, but uh, we really uh, recommend people go out and get your book and uh, get in and engage and understand. And if you're dealing with ADHD kids, uh, we'll, we'll have uh, links in the show notes uh, for, for the book, but also to your centre. And uh, uh, we just we, uh, you know wish you all the well and, and stay well and healthy and, and live a long time because you're doing great work. <laughs> oh, thanks. I think you guys are really great too. Thank you for your work. This Thank is you. good. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. We'll, we'll catch you another time then. All right. Thank you. Bye for now. 
she was as fantastic as I thought she was going to be, and she's ADHD herself. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, cool. um, not you know, an experiential, uh, an experiential expert. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what what a great combination! So, expert in the area and and having ADHD herself, R- Richard. What's yes. your metaphor? My metaphor. Yeah, this is something, and I'm, there, there were a few I was I was thinking about. I mean, I, I, I did get something of, of, of me on a horse sort of hurling along <laughs> with this awareness that I'm not really very good at riding a horse. So <laughs> okay. that, that yeah. was interesting. I'm going to play, yeah, yeah. I'm going to play with that idea and, yeah. and uh, building up my skills like, like the horse has really got it all together and I'm just still <laughs> learning how to, how to ride it. Yeah, cool, cool. All right, so this is a, so your brain's not broken. Strategies for navigating your emotions and life with ADHD by Tamara Rosier, and we will leave a link in the show notes. Well, thank you everybody for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. Once again, if you enjoy what we're doing here, we would love to have you as part of the tribe over at the Science of Psychotherapy.net. That's our academy site where we've got a wealth of information and courses and all sorts of things for you. Fantastic. So join us there, but uh, uh, it's wonderful to have you joining us here at the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. (laughs) Fantastic. See you next time then. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.